Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, Mr. Biden goes to Ottawa. The U.S. president arrived in the nation's capital just minutes ago, starting a whirlwind two-day visit to discuss everything from trade to security and a possible mission to Haiti. Coming up, we'll take a deeper look what is at stake. Also, with the U.S. once again urging Canada to lead a multinational mission, what could Canadian forces contribute and accomplish in Haiti? We will speak with former Chief of Defence Staff General Tom Lawson. And... The truth will protect us. Our honour and our family will get through this together. Toronto Area MP Han Dong is resigning from the Liberal Caucus. We will show you what happened in the House of Commons today. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. Joe Biden is now on Canadian soil, landing earlier this evening in Ottawa, and this was the scene. And there you have it, the U.S. president walking down the ramp stairs and greeted by Canadian officials, among them the Governor General, Mary Simon. Well, with more on Biden's visit, we're now joined in studio by Catherine Levesque, the parliamentary reporter with the National Post, and in Washington, D.C., David Leventhal, editor-in-chief of Raw Story. Hello to both of you. Hello. Hello. Uh, Catherine, I'll start with you here, because, uh, of course, here we have Joe Biden arriving on the same day that really the Capitol is probably more obsessed about the Han Dong story today because as people now know, he resigned late last night after a global news story essentially uh, alleges that he spoke with a Chinese diplomat and talked about delaying the release of the two Michaels. Talk to us about, uh, which I should say uh, Han Dong denies, but talk to us about the kind of shadow this creates for this Biden visit. This was the worst possible timing. I mean, you had this bombshell of a story happening, you know, on the eve of a presidential visit. And uh, Mr. Dong, I mean, we, we saw him last night. He had to resign from the Liberal Caucus, and, you know, he's now sitting as an independent MP. He also vows to, uh, you know, to clear his name. So all this is happening. And what we've seen today is that the Prime Minister's office, and believe me, we've been calling them all day, you know, won't give any statement on what happened 
you know, on the situation, on them losing one of their MPs, at least for now. And so, uh, you know, what will happen, quite frankly, and I guess we'll see it at the press conference tomorrow, with Mr. Biden is uh, what we'll probably have to ask questions to uh, Prime Minister Trudeau about his MP who just left his caucus. So uh, it's the worst timing. I, I'm, I'm sure the uh, the Prime Minister's office is not very happy that it happened, you know, just mere hours before Mr. Biden is visiting the Capitol. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, uh, Handong is essentially caught up in the controversy over uh, foreign interference in the general election in this country, 2019, 2021. Uh, you know, Dave, I'll bring you in here because uh, as we talk about foreign meddling in the Canadian democratic process. I'm wondering how large of an issue this figures for the U.S., this happening as Biden arrives, but in a larger sense, the whole security question about China. China is very much on the mind of U.S. officials, especially on Capitol Hill today. We're having hearings here in Washington, D.C., the U.S. Capitol, about TikTok, the uh, company that's owned by ByteDance, a Chinese company, and in all of the talk today is about, well, hey, is China going to be able to access users' information for this wildly popular app? Is this going to be something where the Chinese government, in, in a way, is using it as an infiltration tool? I mean, this is the nature of the debate that's happening in Congress on Capitol Hill. So if you want to uh, play that forward a few months, we're going to hear about China in the context of U.S. elections again, whether the Chinese government is trying to use technology, use tools to more or less uh, propagate propaganda or otherwise meddle in U.S. elections. And that's before we even get uh, anywhere close to talking about trade issues or military issues. China looms very, very large here in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. So, of course, something we're going to be watching out for as this visit continues and goes on. But I also want to talk about the, the safe third country agreement, because as you well know, uh, Catherine, huge issue in this country is tens of thousands of migrants have entered Canada through irregular border crossings. And we knew that the prime minister wanted to raise it during this visit with Joe Biden. And it seems we can safely say and then some form of agreement is going to be announced. Yes, and you know, I, I would maybe be be careful with that, right? Because we, we don't know if there's an agreement, if you know there's a skeleton of an agreement. So, for sure, what will happen is that this issue is going to be raised uh, tomorrow. Um, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau and, and President Biden are going to have their bilateral meeting. I think they're going to be talking about the terms of this deal. Uh, now, the only question we have is. You know, are they going to be announcing something as early as tomorrow, or are we going to have to wait a little bit? The other question I would have, because the devil is always in the details, mm -hmm. right, is, you know, did Canada give anything in exchange for an agreement? Um, it, because we, we knew that, you know, it, it's not really top of mind for the Americans right now. I think, uh, you know, the United States can uh, is certainly more concerned maybe with the southern border than the northern one. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really... I'll be watching to see, you know, did we maybe make some concessions and say we'll take care of the Haiti mission, for instance? Uh, did, did we make any more promises? So that's what I'll be watching for tomorrow. Okay, interesting that you raise Haiti, because I do want to bring you in on this topic, Dave, because we know ever since Antony Blinken came to Ottawa last year, he was raising this idea that the, that the White House wanted Canada to lead some type of multinational force uh, for Haiti, uh, or multinational mission, I should say. Why is the United States leaning on Canada instead of leading a mission of their own if it's such a priority for the Biden White House? Yeah, much of that has to do with the United States uh, for itself and not about Canada. I mean, the United States is still reeling from a number of international military 
engagements, whether that be Afghanistan, Iraq. If you go back in, in time, we could talk about Somalia, Grenada, various other countries. Uh, and there's great fatigue among the U.S. population. And Joe Biden, as president, as president, has made it very clear that he doesn't want to get entangled in foreign affairs in a military sense any more than the United States absolutely has to. There is a Canadian component which is interesting and very few Americans even realize, uh, which is that many of the, the migrants who are coming through the United States and going to Canada are from Haiti. Uh, so uh, the United States feels at least to some extent that, uh, that Canadians have uh, skin in the game, if you will, that uh, they have a responsibility to try to take care of their own affairs and the United States will help, but doesn't want to be at the forefront of any type of effort where there are going to be boots on the ground quite literally and physically in Haiti. Well, and of course, Canada has a long history uh, with Haiti and a significant Haitian community uh, in this country. But listen, uh, quickly running out of time, we have to talk about economics, of course, because we here we are, Canada, the United States, trading uh, more than $2.6 billion worth of goods every single day. So what are you watching out for in terms of an announcement? Certainly there has been some concern about Buy American, but it seems the focus really is now about securing a North American uh, supply line and ensuring that does not ever get interrupted. So what, what I'll be watching for is if uh, President Biden, you know, kind of changes his tone and now that he'll be in Canada and, you know, we'll maybe say, well, th there will be exemptions for, for Canadians and, you know, well, of course it's by North American and not, not just by America, but I, I doubt that, you know, he, he'll actually uh, t tone down what he says. But what, what I'll also be watching for is, uh, you know, critical minerals. I, I know, you know, Canada has... Uh, enormously big amount of natural resources. We certainly want our uh, critical minerals to be, you know, a component of, uh, you know, whatever strategy is happening in the United States right now. We certainly want to uh, to be there and jump uh, on the ship. So uh, that, you know, and, and it's interesting because Mr. Wilkinson kind of said that there might be an announcement on that. So, you know, I will be, be certainly looking out for that. And, you know, hopefully there, there will be an announcement on, uh, you know, our critical minerals in Canada. Yeah, well, we expect something to happen during this visit. Uh, so, so, Dave, what about you? What are you watching out for? You know, Catherine mentions critical minerals. And certainly this is, this works very well, dovetails very well into Joe Biden's whole green economic uh, priorities. Absolutely, it does. And, and I think one thing that uh, it, it's easy to forget about, but there was some turbulence during the Trump administration, and we were talking about timber and lumber and various other things that, uh, in essence, the two countries trading trade barbs, if you will. And uh, so I think stability is definitely an issue that will come up in some form or fashion during Joe Biden's uh, meeting with the prime minister. And, and also to border issues, uh, COVID uh, for many border communities was absolutely disastrous both from an economic and from a social perspective. I mean, I grew up in a border community. I was used to very free egress going to Canada and back. And many people who, uh, Americans and Canadians both, when the bridges got shut down during COVID are saying, look, if there's ever another pandemic, we've got to find a better way and prepare for some sort of a situation again in the future where cross-border travel is going to have to be a lot easier and better handled than it was during the past three years. Okay, well, we've quickly run out of time, a lot to uh, cover. And if people are wondering uh, where Dave is from, look at the buffalo behind his bookcase. Uh, so, Catherine Levesque, David Leventhal, thank you for the time. Thank you. <laughs>
Now, as you heard, I started that conversation with the resignation of Han Dong from the Liberal Caucus. And again, this was the result of a news report that alleged Dong advised a Chinese diplomat to delay the release of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor. That issue sparking another debate in the House of Commons. We have two members of our national security services that have told the media that a Liberal MP told the Chinese not to release the two Michaels. I've now twice asked when the Prime Minister, his office, or his department were informed of this uh, startling revelation. So I'm going to ask a third time, and I ask the Minister to answer, when did the Prime Minister become aware of these allegations? When? Honourable Minister. Mr. Speaker, September 24th, 2021, was a great day for Canada. Here, here. It was the day when the two Michaels, Michael Kovrick and Michael Spaver, came back safely home to Canada. And I think it was a day when this government, all members of this House, all Canadians were proud of what we'd done because, indeed, the two Michaels were arbitrarily detained for too long in China. And, Mr. Speaker, this will always be our priority as a government. We will st always stand up against any form of arbitrary detention in state-to-state -state relations. The, the controversy over Handong is, of course, tied to the issue of foreign interference in Canadian elections. And today, the House of Commons voted in favour of a motion that calls on the Trudeau government to launch a national inquiry into that matter. Handong voted in favor of the inquiry, the motion also calling for it to be granted all necessary powers to call witnesses from the government and the political parties. Important to note, though, despite being adopted, the motion itself is not binding, but it does add greater pressure on the government to call a public inquiry. Well, let's turn back to Haiti now. As we noted earlier, Washington has been pushing Canada to lead a multilateral mission to the country. To talk about that possibility, we're now joined by General Tom Lawson, who from 2012 to 2015 served as Canada's Chief of Defence Staff. General Lawson, good to see you again. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Michael. Now, Canada, as you well know, does have a history with Haiti. Uh, what was your first reaction when you heard this request for Canada to lead a mission to that country? Well, first, I understand why Canada might be uh, an obvious choice to lead a mission to Haiti. And uh, like anyone out there, uh, when you see a group of people, millions in this case, who are in peril as a result of a, a failed government uh, and roving gangs, kidnappings, rapes, uh, great concern. Uh, but beyond that, great concern that Canada might try to stand up a military mission under the conditions that are there right now. Under the conditions that are there, you know, it's interesting because we do, as you know, have two patrol boats right now off the coast of Haiti, uh, but we are hearing that only boots on the ground would really change the situation. What's the danger of actually engaging on a, a mission that would take soldiers onto the ground? Well, certainly to your point, uh, risk to the soldiers on the ground is a concern of the commander uh, as he considers this mission, you know, on behalf of, behalf of the prime minister, if indeed the prime minister is asking him to consider it, um, and how to mitigate those risks would be the big thing. But we've been on a lot of risky missions 
in the Canadian Armed Forces, there's good training, there's good equipment. Those aren't really my concerns. My concerns are that the host nation and large numbers of the population in Haiti don't want international soldiers on the ground to support the legitimacy of uh, arguably an illegitimate government. And uh, this has been happening for decades now, always without great effect. So if Canada were to lead a mission in there, it would be a mission where the host nation is not suggesting what the end state, the desired end state is. And if there isn't a desired end state, then we come to the last concern or the biggest concern I would have, and that is, uh, what's your exit strategy? When can you declare success and leave the mission? And if there's no clear success point defined by the host nation or a way forward by the host nation, uh, then there really is no end state that allows that. This could go on for years and years and years. Okay, so what can Canada actually do then? Because at the end of the day, uh, we are, as you say, seeing these kidnappings, uh, rape uh, and violence. They go unanswered. We're seeing starvation and disease. And really, there is a Canadian instinct to help. So what can this country actually do, given the reality that you're outlining politically on the ground? Right. And, you know, it's not just a Canadian instinct. I think it's a human instinct to try and support those who are in great peril. Uh, in such a situation in Haiti. And uh, where Canada has been, of course, we're the number two contributor uh, through uh, external affairs to, uh, to Haiti and to development in Haiti uh, to the United States. Uh, and the largest portion of our support so far has been by trying to support the police uh, by providing armored vehicles to them and, uh, and then monies to other parts of, uh, of the government uh, in recent years when the government was in effect. So, you know, there are a lot of things that Canadians can do before the military uh, should get involved. And I, I think that those are things that should be considered long ahead of uh, an open-ended military mission. So given what you have just shared with us, why do you think the U.S is leaning on Canada to lead this mission instead of leading one of their own if they think it is important right now? Well, I think the U United States you know, sees, as we do, the horror of what's going on in Haiti, and they know that Canada likely has the numbers uh, and the capability to do well uh, leading a mission down there. Um, of course, the problem with a military as small, very professional, but as small as Canada's, after decades of uh, underinvestment in defense, uh, is that uh, you have to be very careful with your prioritization of missions. And right now, our mission in uh, NATO, supporting uh, our uh, allies on the eastern side of NATO, leading a brigade-sized group in Latvia, that's the priority, and that's what Canada can support through its uh, through its armed forces. And in fact, there was recently an announcement that. Uh, our contribution to that mission would be increased. If indeed Canada was asked by the U.S. and agreed to do this, it would require a reprioritization, uh, and Canada would likely have to either pull out of that uh, uh, NATO mission or decrease its size greatly. And there's another concern here, too. This mission would not be anything like the type of missions that we go on with NATO or even with like-minded nations in the Middle East, that is that when we fit our forces into missions with allies, we fit them inside a well-constructed infrastructure that provides medical support, airlift, 
logistics, ammunition, dumps, all of that. Now, Haiti has none of that. So if Canada were to lead this mission, they would have to build that from the bottom up. Other contributing nations, if any would agree to it, would be smaller than Canada. They would look to Canada for all of those things that we normally find built into NATO-type missions. So that's a very different mission than any Canada has been asked to lead in a long time. Some important context as the U.S. president meets with the Canadian Prime Minister. Uh, Tom Lawson, thank you very much for the time, General. Pleasure being here. Thank you. What I say to Conservative opposition leaders is your job today yeah, broadly speaking, indicate a direction you're going to go, but it's not to talk about how you would run the country. It is to hold the government accountable for how it is running the country and making, yeah, 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 making it yeah, where it's yeah. mismanagement, incompetence and corruption. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. the job. And I really worry, and I know the people say develop the plans, develop the proposals, but I worry that that's what the Liberal media here wants Pierre Poiliev to do make himself the issue, let them hold him accountable, for his while the government yeah, yeah. you know, continues on what I think is, for the most part, a, pr a pretty poor course, and they're, they're off the hook. Well, that was, of course, the former Prime Minister Stephen Harper taking part in a fireside chat with the founding leader of the Reform Party, Preston Manning. The two taking part in the Candace Strong and Free Conference, which is happening this week in Ottawa. And with their thoughts on what we heard from the former Prime Minister, we're now joined by Lisa Raitt, the former Deputy Leader of the Conservative Party, former Cabinet Minister in the Harper government, and now co-chair of the Coalition for a Better Future, and Fred Delory, a former advisor to Stephen Harper and a former Director of Political Operations for the Conservative Party. Hello to both of you. Hey, Michael. Hey, Michael. Listen, uh, Lisa, I'll get you to start us off here, because, you know, there were a lot of interesting things uh, that Mr. Harper shared last night, and that included some advice to Pierre Poliev, really calling on him to, to focus more on holding Justin Trudeau's feet to the fire instead of, uh, I guess, presenting policy alternatives. Why do you think he's advising that? Sh shouldn't a government-in-waiting present their vision to Canadians? Not if in the current climate, the reality is, is that people vote out governments, not vote in governments. And I think the advice is really well placed because that is has to be the focus of any opposition is showing the reasons why the current incumbent government should not be in that seat of power after the next election. That really is the role of the opposition is to hold the government to account and as well point out the difficulties. Now, when a campaign comes, absolutely, you have to put forth your vision of what Canada should be like. But we don't know when that next election is going to be. It could be in the fall. It could be three years from now. And at that point in time, you'll have a greater assessment of what the country needs in terms of a policy change. But until then, you're just going to be putting out policy after policy, and it's just much easier to take apart what the government is actually proposing. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, Mr. Harper, um, Fred, uh, started his speech with the need for a conservative uh, renaissance nationally. Uh, talk to us uh, what you think he means by that. Is he talking policy here? Is he just trying to light the fire of conservative faithful across the country? Yeah, this the people he was speaking to were conservatives at this conference, right? This was a, a closed uh, meeting. Obviously, there was media there covering it, but his his message was to conservatives, and the conservative coalition needs to be united and strong to be able to win. We have Western populists, Quebec blue nationalists, and Ontario and Atlantic Tories. 
that come together and, and need to work together to be able to win. And I believe his message was about unity and working together on that. And when we do that, we can have a renaissance where, uh, and I think what he means in those terms is right now, we have a, uh, a major fiscal situation where massive, massive deficits uh, have piled up over the years. And we need a conservative to be able to tackle those and to get our, uh, our books back in order. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know. At least I'll get you in on this because he, he, uh, it was interesting to also hear uh, from Stephen Harper essentially say that if uh, Pierre Polyev actually leads the next government, that he'll be under much tougher circumstances. Is that a reference a bit to to what Fred was talking about, trying to unite conservatives across this country? No, I think it's more the economic times that we're living in and the reality of wars in the world, the reality of the United States and incredible protectionist measures that they've put into place. And the fact that we are falling behind more and more in this country in terms of GDP to capita and in terms of our own prosperity. So I think what he's trying to say, not for me to put the words in the prime, the way I took it, let me put it that way, that's better. The way that I took his message was that Pierre, when he does win, will be facing greater challenges than the Harper government did when they won in 2006. So let me wrap up this conversation with asking the same question of both of you. Uh, having heard Mr. Harper last night uh, coming to Ottawa to, to give the speech to, to the conference, what do you hope Canadians will actually take away from that speech? Uh, Fred, I'll get you to start us off on that. Yeah, I think it's that conservatives are ready to, to lead and win when that election comes. Um, you know, uh, what Lisa said about how his message is about um, that the fiscal situation we need to fix here and, and the world of issues. It's not about a civil war or anything like that. Those, I, I really think that those times are done. I think the party is united and I think we will come together and under Pierre's leadership be able to win the next election. Lisa? Conservatives are very much united on one thing and that is they want to make sure that there's no more liberal Trudeau government in Ottawa and that they want to replace it with a strong conservative national majority. And that will be their focus. And Mr. Harper, giving the speech last night, gave us good feels of great times, you know, past governments that were majorities that did good things for the country. And I think that was what the intent was, and I think it was very well landed. Okay, well, thank you so much for speaking with us this evening. Really appreciate the time today. Uh, Lisa, I think we're going to be talking next week around the budget, but for now, thank you for the time. Uh, Fred, also thank you for joining us this evening. Really appreciate uh, seeing you. Great pleasure. Having us. And that is our program for this Thursday evening. Do join us for our special coverage tomorrow, Joe Biden's visit here in Ottawa. We will have coverage from the very beginning of the day right up until late at night. But for now, I'm Michael Serapio, and for everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. We'll see you again tomorrow.